and I love what we're doing in the book of Philippians. So we are in chapter two. Pastor Chris ended on verse 17 last week. I'm gonna pick up, and we'll actually pick up in verse 17. That kind of leads me into verse 18. So we'll read to the end of chapter two, and we'll jump into uh, the title and where we're going direction-wise in a moment. Verse 17 says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you. This word challenged me last time. I I practiced it at home. I think I'm good. Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that he had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. I love my life. I really do. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my family. I love Ohio. We just talked about fall. Um, I love being a youth pastor. I love my job. I love our church. I love bacon. Anyone else love bacon? Yeah. I love steak. I love tacos. I could keep going on about food. I love the experiences that I've had in life. I love traveling. I love my life. God has been good to me. It's easy to find joy when you think about the things that are good in life. But what about when the bad happens? When sickness comes, when job loss occurs, when drama happens and relationships end, when there's more division than unity in your home or in our community or at this point in time in our nation, when the kids won't listen and the car won't start, how can you still find joy. We understand now where the Apostle Paul is. Paul, for those who have been in our study, if you haven't been, we'll catch you up. Paul is in Rome in prison. He's in prison for a crime of preaching Jesus Christ. Yet Paul in prison finds joy. While Paul is in prison, he says in verse 17 and 18, we read it a moment ago, that he may be offered up as a sacrifice. Meaning that Paul is saying, right now I don't know what my sentence will be. It may be a short sentence, maybe a couple more days and I'm out. Maybe a long sentence. My, the rest of my life may be in this dirty prison in Rome. Or I may be a sacrifice. I may have a death sentence upon my life for acting out my faith of preaching Jesus Christ. But it's crazy 
that Paul says that he has joy and that he rejoices. And then he even tells the church at Philippi, not only do I rejoice and do I have joy, but you should do the same. So how does Paul endure all of this and remain joyful? Remember, this isn't the first struggle or hardship that Paul has faced in his life and his ministry. He's been shipwrecked, he's been bitten by a snake, he's been stoned, he's been beaten, he's been falsely imprisoned, he's faced persecution after persecution. Yet Paul continued to press on and he kept having joy in his life. How was it that Paul could find joy when it seemed that there was no joy to be found? From Paul's example in God's word tonight, we're going to learn how we can find joy in the good seasons and the bad seasons. Our title tonight, if you take notes, could be how to have joy when blank. Because the blank is for you to fill in. How to have joy when the kids are fighting. How to have joy when cancer strikes. How to have joy when a family member passes away. How to have joy when my transmission went out. How to have joy when I can't seem to find a job. How to have joy when I can't find the right community I want to be involved in and it's an identity crisis for me. How can I find joy? There's three ingredients that are necessary if we're going to stay joyful no matter the circumstances. Number one, Paul engaged in right relationships. Paul engaged in right relationships. The relationship that we see that Paul engaged in is with Timothy. It's very obvious that Paul loved Timothy. Timothy was Paul's disciple, his ministry partner, his son in the faith, but most importantly, Timothy was Paul's friend. We're going to reread some of these verses. 19 through 23 talks about Timotheus, also known as Timothy, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. So Paul feels it's necessary that while he's in prison in Rome, that he would send Timothy, his son in the faith, his disciple, his partner in ministry, his friend, to Philippi to check on the church. Just to make sure everything's going well there. Maybe there's, there are decisions that they need help on. Um, he could fill the pulpit. He could help out the church there and provide leadership and really just bring a report back to Paul. Paul explains that Timothy actually... Uh, is not even his first option, that he wanted to look elsewhere, but there was no one else like-minded. There was no one else like Timothy that he could trust and that he could send. In verse 22, Paul speaks of the proof of Timothy. This is the representation that Timothy had or the testimony that Timothy had obtained. And that testimony is that he preached Christ, that he served with him in the gospel. Paul had invested time and energy in Timothy. They served together. They shared meals together. They did life together. They experienced the ups and downs and the good and the bad together. 
I don't know about you, but together would be a great sermon series. Like, pastors should start one like that. Chris, you should write a book about it. That would be great. They did it together. Paul and Timothy grew from teacher and student to now they're friends. Someone that Timothy had looked up to, Paul has engaged him in a very real friendship. Someone that he could confide in, someone that he trusts in, someone that he can bear burdens with. You see, right relationships will help you keep a right attitude when bad times come. Paul engaged in right relationships. You can look back in the past with Paul and Silas when they were in prison. And if you remember their story, while in prison, they sang praises to God. Paul always surrounded himself with the right relationships. But I want to make sure that you understand the right relationships allow you to have the right attitude and allow you to find joy because the wrong ones push you in the opposite direction. In verse 20 and 21, Paul talks about how Timothy was not his first option, that he looked for another man, but there was none like-minded that would naturally take care of the church in Philippi because they sought their own, because they didn't seek the things of Jesus Christ. Timothy had other responsibilities that Paul wanted him to take care of, but in short, he had to send Timothy. There was no one else like-minded, no one else trustworthy, no one else spiritually mature who Paul could send. The other men who came to mind were men who sought their own wills. Someone who might have came to Paul's mind was Demas. Do you guys remember Demas? Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Demas was also someone else that Paul had really, really invested in. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10. Verse 10. And here's a verse that pretty much sums up Demas and his ministry. For Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world. Demas went from disciple to dropout. Demas was a young man who had many of the same opportunities as Timothy. Demas wasn't born into a Christian home. Demas' real name is Demetrius. And the meaning at that time of Demetrius, the name that was given to him, was because his parents were idol worshipers. And Demetrius means idol worshiper. Demas would change his name to Demas because he accepted Christ and no longer wanted to be known as an idol worshiper. So now Demas is converted. Demas has Jesus Christ in his life, and Paul sees something in Demas. He takes him under his wing. He invests in him, much like he did Timothy. He becomes a son in the faith to him, if you will, a disciple, a follower of Christ that is now partnering in ministry with Paul. Yet he was someone that forsook Paul in the ministry, forsook Jesus Christ for the present world. Someone that would rather seek instant gratification rather than serving Jesus Christ. He wanted what he wanted, and he wanted it right away. He decided that he would try to find joy and fulfillment by chasing what the world had to offer. When I think about that statement, chasing what the world has to offer, what if you were given the opportunity to go to a a shopping center, and it's not your typical shopping center, Um, it's not Walmart, we won't even give it a name, 
So you walk in, and there is a greeter, because every good shopping center has a greeter, but they're not wearing their blue vest. Imagine that they have a nice, sparkly gold vest, and they greet you with a smile, and you're super excited to be there. And they give you a cart, and you take your cart, and it's brand new to you. You're not sure what this shopping center has, so you ask the greeter, what's this all about? I hear a lot about this store. I've seen it on Facebook, and And there's just a lot of murmuring about this store. So the greeter tells you, hey, you can take your cart and you can go down all the aisles and you get whatever you want. Put it in your cart and you don't have to pay for it. You you don't. Get whatever you want. Just put it in your cart. And we don't only have items here. We actually have cash. Like we manufacture our own cash in the back and we stock the shelves and you can get whatever you want. Start thinking about what you would get. A lot of you would grab cash. I would grab cash. I would probably grab an Xbox, probably a PlayStation. Why not have one of both, one of each? Electronics. I would fill my cart as you would. I would grab bacon and steak, definitely, but I would fill the cart. Now you get to the end of the shopping and you just skip the aisle where you pay because those are shut down. They don't collect your money for these items. You get ready to leave out the door, and the greeter meets you. He says, where are you going? Well, I, I got all my stuff. You said to go pack my cart. Well, yeah, you could get what you want, but you can't take it with you. And that's how Demas was. Demas could have been working to further God's kingdom, but instead sought for earthly things. And I know we're talking about relationships, but to hit home with you, are you seeking to fill your cart with things on earth? Or are you working to further God's kingdom? Because if you don't know, you can't take it with you. And I enjoy having nice things, and I'm thankful that I'm blessed, but the motive and our passion should be to reach the one more. Jesus Christ talks about leaving the 90 and 9 to find the one. It's always about the next one. And so Demas was not someone that Paul could call on because he had left the ministry for the present world. So Paul has Timothy who he confides in, who he can have a relationship with. They're good friends. Timothy helps him stay encouraged and find joy in the midst of hard times. Friends will influence you, so choose wisely. Who are your friends? It's good to have someone that you can confide in, that you can trust in, but that will encourage you in Christ. If you have someone that you can just always be negative with and you're always negative together, that's, that's a recipe for depression, for sadness, for not finding joy. That's the opposite of what we should want to accomplish as Christians. Number two, not only did Paul engage in right relationships, but Paul sacrificially gave. Paul sacrificially gave. Towards the end of this nightmare that Paul finds himself in, he does something very surprising. He responds in a way that we wouldn't expect and that we really wouldn't see coming. Paul gives. This is his response in a hard time in his life. He gives. Paul found joy by giving. And first he gave his life. Verse 17 and 18 are opening verses of Philippians chapter 2. 
talked about how Paul said that I may be offered as a sacrifice and service of your faith. I joy and rejoice. And he goes on to say that you, for the same cause, also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Paul's been in prison and he, we talked about his sentence. He's unsure, is it going to be a lengthy one? Will I get out soon? Or will they actually um, tell me that I may lose my life, that death may occur? So Paul doesn't respond with sadness, but Paul doesn't fall into depression. Paul doesn't try to escape. Paul is joyed and Paul rejoices that not only will my ministry be in life, but my ministry will be in death. And this isn't surprising at all if you know Paul's ministry. Philippians chapter 1, it was preached on a few weeks ago, verse 21, 121, says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we're just seeing Paul's beliefs now become his behaviors. We're seeing what Paul believed become his action. Paul gave his life sacrificially. But Paul also gave Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. Verse 25 of this, we see that Epaphroditus is part of Paul's life. Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger. And he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. In verse 28, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Paul was not in the position to send Timothy. He talks about how he would like to. My goal is to eventually send him to you. But at this time, Timothy has other responsibilities. However, I know that it's necessary and it's important to send Epaphroditus back to you. Remember, uh, when we talked about the background of the, of the passage or of this book, Epaphroditus is someone that was saved in Philippi. He was one of Paul's converts. He was part of the church in Philippi that Paul is writing this letter to. Now, the church at Philippi wanted to take care of Paul, so they send a gift, a financial gift, with Epaphroditus to Paul in prison. All he was to do was to drop the gift off, and he was going to come home. But Epaphroditus wanted to stay, and he wanted to help Paul out. So he is there, and he's ministering unto his needs. Paul's imprisoned, he's changed, he, he's chained up, he's, he's not able to go out freely, and Epaphroditus stayed to help him. And Paul was willing to give up his helper in a way. You can see how deep their relationship was as Paul calls him three things. He calls him a brother, which indicates a relationship that was enjoyed. They were true friends. Verse 27 says, um, that if he were to die, if Epaphroditus were to die, that it would have been sorrow upon sorrow for Paul. He really had a great relationship with him. It went further than just, hey, this guy goes and gets me clothes and food and groceries. But he had a real relationship 
with him. He was his companion in labor, which indicates there was a job that they worked to accomplish. And in verse 30, it talks about the work of Christ that Epaphroditus was working on. This is something that they partnered together in. And then Paul talks about him being his fellow soldier. And this indicates the battle with Satan that they endured and they fought side by side. So they had gone through the ups and downs together. Paul, Timothy is not with Paul at this time as far as visiting him every day, but Epaphroditus is. Yet Paul, in this hard time, could have very selfishly said, you're not going anywhere. I know that the people uh, in Philippi would love to have you back. I know you would love to go home, but come on, I'm trying to preach Christ. I'm the first missionary. I started all these churches. I'm big time, and you're not going anywhere. You're going to stay with me and make sure I'm taken care of. He could have selfishly done that, but Paul sacrificially gave his friend and said, go home. It would be so nice for your family to see you, for your friends, for the church to get a report about me. And although I may have some sorrow for a moment, they will rejoice and I will sacrificially give. Paul gave his life. Paul gave his friend. And in doing so, we see that Paul gave a good example This is seen through the life of Epaphroditus. I believe that Paul's sacrificial giving and his life inspired, motivated, and challenged Epaphroditus to sacrificially give. You see, Epaphroditus became very, very sick. Um, We we don't know exactly a disease or sickness that he had, but the Bible says that he was very, very close to to death, very close. Some say that he probably received the sickness because he was daily going into the prison where Paul was. And you think about our prisons today, and I mean, those people have it good. Um, This situation with Paul, he was not taken care of like prisoners in the United States would be taken care of. And so Epaphroditus would go there every day. And so many scholars believe that he contracted some type of sickness or disease because of that. But verse 30, of this passage says that because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death. Epaphroditus did not regard his life. Epaphroditus gave sacrificially. He gave his life to Paul for the furtherance of the gospel. He understood the influence that Paul had and he wanted to give to him so that way he could help further the cause of Christ. Paul loved Epaphroditus. He set a good example for him. Epaphroditus ministered to Paul's wants, and no doubt this included minute things like just visiting him, bringing him clean clothes, bringing him food, and I'm sure other tasks that Paul had him do in the community. This man postponed his life and chose to invest his time, treasure, and talent into Paul. Epaphroditus gave sacrificially because of the example that he saw in Paul. You see, sacrificial giving not only brings you joy, but it's very contagious. Where I grew up in Pennsylvania, I was part of a youth group. It was called Track Club, an acronym for Teens Redeemed and Called. And I had a youth leader that was in my life. His name was Keith. And Keith uh, would end up being my Sunday school teacher. We didn't necessarily do small groups like the format we do here, but he was someone who taught me every Sunday And he really invested in my life. Keith was a a great man, a leader in our church, and I really looked up to Keith. Keith's wife, Susan, 
uh, would actually receive or have breast cancer. And she fought for a while, but God um, selected to have her called home. And so Keith lost his wife. It was a very hard time for him. During all of this, I'm still growing up. I'm around 17 or 18. And he had three girls. So you could imagine the task that he now has as a, a single father adapting to life without his wife and having three girls. Um, his oldest daughter, Elizabeth, during this time uh, had a brain tumor. And the doctors were able to remove the brain tumor, but in doing so, a lot of her function, uh, functions were lost and she had to learn all over again. She was eight or nine years old. Um, they had to teach her how to walk again, go through everything that you could imagine, uh, an infant growing into toddler years and all that, you had to teach all over again. And I remember watching Keith and just watching what he endured, the loss of his wife, and now training his daughter, um, and then dealing with uh, the two younger girls, and just how he was always faithful, and how Keith was always there to teach, and how he would invest in me. I was preparing for Bible college, and I would move from Pennsylvania to California. And the college I went to was crazy because uh, Monday through Wednesday, we wore a suit to class every day. How many college students in the crowd today? We have a few, right? Right, so your dress code probably is nothing like that. But I wore a suit with a tie Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Now, Thursday and Friday, they were casual days. So we just wore a shirt and tie, which was great. And that's, that was our dress code for our ministry college. Well, Keith came up to me right before I left, probably two weeks before I left, and said, hey, Michael, I know you're going off to school. Is there anything that you need? Of course, being a college student, you're like, yeah, there's tons of stuff I need. But you don't want to, you know, press too hard on that. And I said, no, I don't really need anything. And he said, are you sure? I just want to help you out if there is. And I told him, well, we have to wear a suit three, four days out of the week, and I just have one suit, so it would be nice to have another suit. So he told me, let's just meet at the mall tomorrow, and we'll get together, and we'll see what we can do. So we go to the mall, and I'm not really anticipating that much. Maybe he'll get me a sports coat or a suit, or say I'll pay for half, you pay for the other half. And he takes me to the store called Men's Warehouse. I had never been in the store before. So we go there. And he says to the guy, hey, I want you to measure him, which he got like the small tape measure for that, but I want you to measure him, get him fitted, because we're going to take care of him today. So I picked out one suit, and Keith said, no, we, we need more than that. Keith would go on to buy me two suits, pants, sports coat, dress shirts, dress shoes, belt. He wanted to get me suspenders, but at that time I wasn't confident enough for suspenders, ties, he would spend thousands of dollars on me so that I could have clothes for college. And I remember during that time, the genuine joy that it brought Keith. Obviously, it brought me a lot of joy, but it brought Keith genuine joy to give to others. In the midst of his hardship, his trials, everything that he went through for that moment in time, he focused on someone else. And whatever you're going through, focus on others. Give to others. That is how you find true joy in the midst of hardships. And it is so contagious. I think about how I'm motivated and inspired and challenged that one day 
I would have an opportunity to give in the same way. So Paul found true joy because he engaged in real relationships, right relationships, because he sacrificially gave, and number three, because he trusted God. He trusted God. Verse 19 says, but I trust God. All right, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. Verse 22, or I'm sorry, verse 24 also says, but I trust in the Lord. Paul trusting God is the glue that held everything else together. Paul had absolute unwavering faith in God. He understood that even though he didn't know the purpose behind what was going on, he trusted the process because he understood that God was putting it all together. When I think about someone else in the Bible that did so in such a unique way is Joseph in the Old Testament. I love the story of Joseph and what he was able to accomplish for God. And Joseph was put in a situation where it didn't make any sense because God gave him a dream and said, this is what I'm going to do with you. And it's almost like the exact opposite happened. From being sold into slavery, to being a prisoner, to being falsely accused, to uh, working his way up into uh, second in command in Egypt. The promise was, the dream was that one day, you will lead men and your brothers will even bow down to you. So Paul, or I'm sorry, Joseph went through all of these hardships, all of these trials, but he had to go through the prison to get to the palace. He had to go through the hard times to get to the good times and he trusted God through it all. There's always purpose behind our pain. If we can trust the process, we can find it. In our teen class on Sundays, we've just been asking hard questions. What are hard questions to answer? Maybe social issues that we deal with. Uh, A week ago or two weeks ago, we asked the question, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? That's a legitimate question that I think we've all wondered. And when we look at someone like Paul, we look at someone like Joseph, We see that sometimes bad things happen to good people because God knows that he can trust that person to glorify him through that. God knows that with Joseph, he can go through this and it's going to be such a miraculous message to others to endure the hardships, to find joy in it, that I will be glorified. So what if we flip the question around and what if we said, what if good people happen to bad things. So maybe you're going through something hard right now. Find joy in it. What's your blank? What's your struggle right now? What's your hardship? You can find joy in it. Surround yourself with the right influence, with the right friends. And then sacrificially give. Start to focus on others. And you'll find that the hardship that you have is not as bad as you think. And then trust in God through it all. And he will show you the purpose that's behind your pain.